You love podcasts. The stories, the laughs, the unexpected turns. But when this episode ends, the silence starts. Not anymore. Audiobooks.com turns that silence into your next great adventure. With over 450,000 titles, from bestsellers to hidden gems, your love for listening just found its new best friend. And because you already know the joy of audio, we're giving you three free audiobooks to start your journey. Imagine your favorite podcast, now with unlimited episodes. That's audiobooks.com. Keep the story going. Sign up for your free trial at audiobooks.com slash podcast free today. Because for podcast lovers like you, the end of an episode is just the beginning. That's audiobooks.com slash podcast F-R-E-E. If someone that says they love you is making it difficult to love them back, maybe there's something more going on. Check out my other podcast at loveandabuse.com to learn what toxic behavior is all about. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani, and I'm here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about in the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. Let's talk about dysfunctional families. Nobody has a dysfunctional family. I think we can all relate. (laughs) If it's not our own family, we can relate to someone else's family, but... Dysfunction, I look at as any type of behavior that makes you mm, feel uncomfortable around them or worse. So you can feel uncomfortable around certain people and they may not be dysfunctional. They're just uh, inappropriate or they're not your style. That's not the type of uncomfortable I'm talking about. I'm talking about the type of uncomfortable that is uh, harmful. Somebody is being harmful in some way. Because there are people out there that uh, have their quirks, but they're not really harmful. Maybe you want to be around them, maybe you don't. Maybe they're a friend of yours, uh, whoever they are. You just feel uncomfortable around them because of their quirks. But the question is, can you accept those quirks as who they are, and will you be okay with it? So that may not be dysfunctional. That just may be quirky. That may be the nuances of who they are. And we all have those. We all have nuances. I tend to see dysfunctional as behavior that seems to derive from selfishness and also doesn't take your interest or your best interest in mind. For example, my stepfather, he drank alcohol every day of my life as far as I recall. And when he wasn't drinking, he was perfectly functional. When he was drinking the dysfunction started. That's when selfish behavior started. And I'm not even saying that he was being purposefully selfish. I'm just saying that when he was inebriated, he did things for himself and didn't care about anyone else. And in fact, went a step further and hurt other people, you know, in my family. So when you have somebody in your life that's dysfunctional, there's often some sort of pain or suffering involved. And because of that, They're uncomfortable to be around. So when I talk about being uncomfortable around someone, there could be a dysfunction there that uh, hasn't been resolved yet. With my stepfather, his dysfunction stems from alcohol. And I wouldn't even say alcohol is a dysfunction. Alcohol is just a substance that someone can drink reasonably and in moderation and have no dysfunction whatsoever. And then somebody else might drink alcohol and their personality changes and they turn into someone that you don't feel good being around. So when you have that kind of dysfunction where you don't feel good being around the person or especially uncomfortable 
being around that person, then it's time to evaluate your time with that person and ask yourself if you really want to be around that type of dysfunction. And I'm just using being drunk as an example because sometimes there are people that drink and are functional. And of course, there are people that are dysfunctional when they drink. And of course, insert any substance here. It could be any substance they're on or any behavior quirk. It doesn't even have to involve a substance. It could be some emotional stuff that somebody's going through or somebody puts you through. It could be their own trauma coming up in other ways that hurt you. Not that it doesn't hurt them too, but they might not have dealt with it. They may, may not have developed good coping mechanisms and they are now harmful to other people because of that. So there's all kinds of reasons for dysfunction and there's all kinds of reasons for toxic behavior. And I think most of the reasons have to do with unhealed parts of yourself. If you don't cope with it, if you don't heal from whatever happened in your past or whatever you're holding on to, it is likely to come out as a dysfunction around others. If there's no one else around, if you woke up and there was no one on earth but you and you were dysfunctional, guess what? You're probably no longer dysfunctional (laughs) because there's no one else around to experience it. You may be dysfunctional in your own life, but when nobody else is around to experience it, you may change yourself in ways that actually help you because you're going to do something that doesn't work and you're going to keep doing something that doesn't work until you realize, huh, I better do something else. Where dysfunction plays a big part is when other people are involved because dysfunction often requires enablement for it to exist. This is why if you had some dysfunctional behavior and you woke up tomorrow and you were the only person on earth, your dysfunctional behavior would probably go away or at least a good portion of it because A, no one would be around to define it as dysfunctional. It wouldn't be selfish because you're the only person and you can't be selfish if you're the only person that exists. And B, you're going to be the only person you rely on. You're going to be the only person that exists. You're going to be the only person that has to do for themselves and no one else. And when you have that formula, me plus me equals me, you end up doing things to survive, to make it to the next day on your own. And when you are completely on your own, you may tend to heal faster and get past your dysfunctions faster. This doesn't mean I'm right 100% of the time. This doesn't mean that if you really are alone and you have dysfunctional behaviors that uh, you should automatically heal from this. Not that at all. I'm just saying, in general, my theory is that if there were no humans around and you were the only one and you had dysfunctional characteristics those dysfunctions would probably disappear if they weren't working for you. So if one of your dysfunctions was getting so drunk that you woke up in the middle of a field and you didn't know where you were, if you're on an earth with a bunch of humans, like we are now, somebody would probably see you and help you. I'm not saying that would be enablement. That would just be someone seeing you and helping you. It would be enablement if somebody you knew always helped you when you woke up in a place that you didn't know. And they always get you back to where you were. They always get you home or whatever. That would be enablement because they keep rescuing you. But if you were drunk and you passed out in a field somewhere and you woke up and you didn't know where you were and there were no other humans around, now what? Now you have to find your own way home. Now you have to deal with the repercussions of being lost. Now you have to deal with everything. You have to deal with the idea that getting drunk gets you into this space and maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe you'd stop drinking. Maybe you couldn't. I don't know. Maybe you'd moderate your drinking. Maybe you'd find another way. But when you have no one to rely on but yourself and no one around to enable you or help you or rescue you, you may have no choice if you want to get to the next day than to decrease, minimize, or eliminate dysfunctional behavior. Again, this is theoretical. I can't prove this. I just know that enablement exacerbates it. It amplifies dysfunction often. This is why, uh, for example, with emotionally abusive relationships, 
I will often tell the person who is losing their relationship due to their emotionally abusive behavior that there may need to be a separation for a while. I will often tell both people in an emotionally abusive relationship regardless who is the emotional abuser and who is the victim or if they're both doing it or they're both victims doesn't matter if there's emotional abuse in the relationship then there probably has been some sort of enablement that has occurred and what that means is somebody did behavior and somebody else complemented that behavior to enable it to happen again or dare I say allow it to happen again because if there's no accountability for bad behavior then they're likely to do the bad behavior again and that's why the emotionally abusive relationship often continues to be emotionally abusive because the two people in it are still together that doesn't mean everyone should separate and do their own thing and heal on their own but that is an option and it is often a good option because it allows people to be on their own and recognize their own behaviors, reflect on their own behaviors, both as the perpetrator or the victim of emotionally abusive or even any hurtful behavior. When you are on your own, the influence of being around somebody else decreases. It starts to minimize and starts to decrease its effect on you and your thoughts. So you will think differently when you are not with the person that either is enabling you or you are enabling. You think differently. You change the rules. You change the formula of the relationship because there is nothing to bounce off of. There is no feedback mechanism anymore. And without the feedback mechanism of uh, when you do this, they do that, or when they do that, you do this, without that in the relationship, you have to think differently. You have to make different decisions. And when you get used to making decisions on your own, it becomes a self-nurturing and self-compassionate and most of the time a self-healing process. This is why I do sometimes say separation is a very good thing. And I'm talking about any relationship, romantic, family, platonic, whatever relationship you're in, if you've been around someone often enough where there has been a complementary enablement to someone's dysfunction, then what you end up doing is continuing to facilitate an environment where the dysfunction continues. An enablement doesn't always have to be someone rescuing the dysfunctional person. It doesn't always have to do with that. Sometimes enablement is a lack of accountability or doing something in a way that doesn't really affect the other person. And that's kind of vague, so let me give you an example. In a relationship where one person is hurting the other person in some way, I'm not talking about really physical here, but I'm just talking about in some way, the other person is in emotional pain, they're suffering in some way. When that exists, the person in pain might cry, they might Uh, defend themselves they might yell back or they might withdraw and be silent and they want to let the other person know that they are genuinely hurting and they want the other person to see that maybe they're crying and they're in pain they want the other person to figure out that they're hurting them and depending on the level of hurtful behavior going on in the relationship Sometimes this can work. Sometimes the other person will see that that person's in pain, so they'll back off. Oh my God, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I didn't mean to you know, make you cry. I'm so sorry. That can happen, and when that happens, that's a good thing. That means they're accessing sympathy or empathy and really connecting with you, and they really don't want to hurt you. They just, you know, maybe they messed up or maybe they went too far. But the point is that works for some people. The problem comes when the person in pain cries and appears visibly hurt and the other person isn't affected by that suffering. So you have two people, one person is hurting and the other person's doing the hurtful behavior. That person who's doing the hurtful behavior, if they see you're crying and it doesn't affect them enough to stop that behavior or stop it from repeating, then the person crying, the person suffering, the person in pain isn't showing them accountability. And in fact, may be feeding the dysfunctional machine. This is probably one of the most important points 
uh, maybe of this episode. I don't know. The episode's not over yet. But think about this for a moment. If you continue repeating a reaction that doesn't stop hurtful behavior, then your reaction may actually be facilitating that hurtful behavior. That might mean when you cry, it doesn't change how they show up. So crying might be facilitating how they show up. There might be a benefit to them when you cry. I hate to say that out loud, but there might be. This is why sometimes people continue to suffer because they have a response or reaction that is perfectly valid. I'm suffering, I'm in pain, I'm crying, it hurts. Why do they keep doing this to me? Why, why, why? And why can't they see they're hurting me and stop? And when that thought process goes on in someone's head and the other person doesn't stop, the focus shouldn't be on why they're not stopping because that could be an endless line of obsessive thinking. But it should be on your responses to their behavior and making sure that you realize when they don't change that behavior, your response doesn't matter to them. Again, I I really hate saying this out loud. I'm not saying that everyone's like this that does this. I'm saying it's better to think along the lines that if you are hurting, if you're crying, if you are hurt by someone else's behavior and they know it, it's important for you to understand that showing them hurt isn't going to change their behavior. That's really the point I'm trying to make. And because it isn't changing their behavior, it may actually be enabling that behavior, not only to continue that day, but to repeat over and over again. This is why a lot of emotionally abusive people don't change, because it's not enough for them to change. It should be. It really should be, but I've been transparent about this before. I was emotionally abusive in my past romantic relationships, and I would do things to my partner to make them feel bad. I would do things to make them feel guilty, and I could see that they were visibly sad, and it wasn't enough to change my behavior. Didn't mean I didn't care. Didn't mean I didn't love them. I just didn't love them in a healthy way. And because of that, my behavior continued, and their suffering continued. And the only thing that worked for me to have the light bulb come on and make a new choice about my own behavior, my own hurtful behavior, was for them to finally give me the ultimate accountability of uh, distancing, separation, or complete disconnect. Because once that was introduced into the formula of our relationship, it was the impetus I needed to change. It still took several failed relationships for that to happen, but it was still the only impetus that caused me to finally look within myself and realize, oh, I'm the problem. I'm the one that needs to take care of this issue. I'm the one that needs to take care of myself and reflect on my own behavior because I seem to be the common denominator every time this happens. Every relationship I get into, they keep leaving me. Maybe it's not them. Maybe it's me. And that's when I finally opened my eyes, especially after my marriage ended. I opened my eyes and I said to myself, wait, there's something wrong with me. I'm the broken one. I'm the dysfunctional one. I'm not saying anyone that goes through this is broken. I'm not saying that you need to be fixed. I'm just saying this is what I said to myself. I'm the one that needs fixed. I'm the one who's broken. Those words worked for me. I'm the unhealed one. I'm the one carrying around old trauma or PTSD from the past or hurt or anger or hate that I haven't resolved yet in myself or I haven't admitted yet in myself. I'm the one who keeps being destructive in my behavior, in my relationships, which is causing the breakdown of my relationships and, of course, the breakup of my relationships. That happens over and over again. You finally get it. And this sometimes needs to happen. It does sometimes need to happen in order to understand what you're doing in the relationship, whether you're enabling more dysfunction or they're doing hurtful behavior, whatever role you play. When the primary players are on their own, they get to think differently. They get to see things differently. The fog of the dysfunction lifts and you see things more clearly. And then maybe you can meet again as new people with different 
understandings and different perceptions and a realization of your role and you take full responsibility for your role I think that's important too you taking responsibility for what you did to facilitate an unhealthy environment is ultra important and it has to be both people both people do play a role in any type of dysfunction or toxic situation so when I think about a toxic family how many people enable the toxic behavior if I was who I am today when I was younger my relationship with my family and my alcoholic stepfather would have gone so different it would have gone so different I'm not saying that I could cure everything and solve everything I probably couldn't I'm not saying that I have the capability to do that but I do know how I would have responded differently I do know that I wouldn't have acted in fear around him I would have acted in my own power and that's so different than who I was and who I am today but that didn't happen I wasn't that person when I was younger I was who I was I had to learn what I had to learn to get to this point and we all do no matter what type of relationship you're in we all have to learn how to get to a point where we feel like we can act in a way that honors us and loves others I prefer that philosophy that model honor yourself while loving others that's not saying that you honor yourself and honor others because others may not have your best interest in mind but if you love them then you support their path you allow them to be who they are and of course if you're honoring yourself you are not exposing yourself to toxic situations or people or at least you limit that exposure or you respond to that toxic behavior in a way that doesn't affect you negatively like if somebody says hey let's go rob a bank together you're gonna honor yourself I hope and say no I'm not gonna go rob that bank and I suggest that you don't either and if they say well I don't care I'm gonna go do it you might have to let them go and tell them I don't suggest you do it it's illegal it's scary to the people involved and you will very likely get caught I'm not saying the conversation will be this stoic <laughs> I'm just saying that if somebody said that to you you're thinking wow that's a lot outside my comfort zone and it's illegal I don't do illegal things or at least that illegal thing <laughs> and so you tell them no I'm not going to do it that's honoring yourself I'm not going to do that you might even say I don't want you to do that that's stupid you're gonna end up in jail you don't be an idiot you might even say that but if they walk away and say I don't care what you think and they run off and they don't talk to you again that is loving them which is really honoring their path even though you disagree with it so there is some honoring toward them as well but loving someone is honoring or supporting their path even when you disagree with it now that might not be the best example because if somebody's gonna do something illegal you might have to get involved and you don't want to be an accessory and you don't want people to get hurt so you might have to go the extra step but you know what I'm saying you honor yourself you take the path that works for you that's in alignment with your values and you may just have to allow them to be who they are but as long as they're not getting you involved in anything that is not in alignment with your values or even dysfunctional or illegal you just don't want to get involved with that so you honor yourself and when you do that more often you find that you get more of what you want in life and getting more of what you want in life is a great way to live life you may not get everything you want you may not get most of the things you want but what ends up happening is that you feel better inside yourself because of your decisions and because you're following a path that feels right to you so I started off saying let's talk about dysfunctional families when I come back I'm gonna read you an email that has to do with some dysfunction and maybe we can apply some of what we talked about in this first segment to this person who wrote but um, we'll see where it goes we'll be right back after this One of the toughest things about trying to figure out your own emotional triggers is that you're trying to figure out your own emotional triggers. You're trying to dive into your own psyche 
and sometimes your own subconscious mind, which is very difficult. That takes a lot of practice. It takes an ability to be an objective observer of your own thoughts without getting lost in your own feelings and your own emotions. And if you're trying to work on your triggers and you're having a hard time doing it because you get lost in your triggers, then you might need somebody to walk you through it. And this is why I like the service BetterHelp. If you haven't heard me talk about it before, it is a professional counseling service that you can use online through their messaging system on the phone or on video chat. When you sign up, they assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist where you get to connect in a safe and private online environment. And believe me, there's nothing better than having an objective observer help you through some of this stuff. I mean, we can't always handle everything on our own. It's sort of like, um, I don't know, lifting an engine out of a car. Probably something you shouldn't handle on your own. I'm sure there are people out there that can do it. <laughs> but maybe you're not as experienced as those people, or maybe you are, but trying to do it on your own is a challenge. So when you have somebody there to help you, you can get the job done, and often you can get it done faster. Probably not the best comparison, but, you know, the engine of your body is your mind. It kind of runs the show. Not that I want to lift it out of your head, but... I think it's important to have somebody else as an objective observer. Every coach needs a coach. Every therapist needs a therapist. I don't know if that's 100% true, but I do know that when I can't get past my own stuff to see my stuff, it is so helpful to have that objective observer to help me through what I need to get through. And that's why I like BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And if you are trying to figure out what interferes with your happiness or prevents you from achieving your goals... Use this easy-to-access professional counseling service. You can send a message to your counselor anytime, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions as well. This is all without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. They deal with depression, stress, anxiety, relationship issues, family conflicts, grief, self-esteem issues. Everything you share is confidential. It's very convenient. It's professional. It's affordable. And over 1 million people are taking charge of their mental health through BetterHelp. So if you're looking to live a happier life today, as a listener of this show, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash brain. And I told you about this before. I told you how excited I was to talk about NordVPN. This is exactly what I use when I'm in the coffee shop, when I'm out in the public, and I have to access a public Wi-Fi system you know, because I want to connect my laptop to the internet or my tablet. And I love public Wi-Fi. I love sitting in the coffee shop and just connecting and doing work from there. But I also love the idea of an encrypted connection. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, it's the difference between writing your password on a sticky note and putting it on your laptop and hoping nobody sees it or keeping your password in a vault where nobody can access it. This is how I look at an encrypted connection to the internet, is that you get to surf privately and nobody can see your computer and access that computer and access the data that you're sending. It's just a private, secure path to the internet. And NordVPN does this. I've been using them for years. I love sharing this tool. I hope you get a chance to use this tool. They are offering an incredible deal right now. And I want you to go to nordvpn.com forward slash T-O-B. Lots of letters there, so I'm going to spell it. Nord, N-O-R-D, VPN.com forward slash T-O-B, like the overwhelmed brain, T-O-B. If you use the coupon T-O-B, you'll get a two-year plan plus one additional month with a huge discount. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you've got nothing to lose. They're compatible with most operating systems, including Windows, Mac OS, Linux, iOS, and Android. They have unlimited bandwidth, and it's so easy to just click a button and you are connected. And if you ever have a question, they have 24-7 customer support, live chat, and emails. Over 14 million people have secure connections to the internet through NordVPN, and I want you to be one of those people. Head to nordvpn.com forward slash TOB. Use the coupon code TOB to get that discount, and you are on your way. Welcome back. Like I said, family dysfunction is sort of the focus of today's episode, so I'm just going to get to this email that talks about a little bit of that dysfunction. 
So here it is. I have a question regarding dysfunctional families. I'm a grown adult in my 40s with my own family. Growing up, I was the oldest of two girls. My sister has always craved the spotlight and needs to be the center of attention. My parents have always had arguments about her behavior and sometimes not spoken to each other for days because of this. I used to go to my room and close my door to avoid this and get on with my studies. We've never been as close as we have different personalities and interests. I have a feeling that she has always been jealous of my life family and achievements at sport and profession, I've tried to separate myself from the conflict, but have recently moved back and find myself in the middle of it all again. How do I approach it rationally without getting caught up in the emotional reactions I find myself in again? I don't want to be reactive anymore. It's driving me crazy, and my husband can't understand why she pushes my buttons now. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for writing. And I'm sorry you're dealing with this, but I'm going to take a slightly different angle with this. And I'm not saying that it's my advice or my suggestion. I'm just going to give you, I guess you could call it a metaphor. And it's going to be an odd metaphor. And I'm not even saying it's a good metaphor. (laughs) I'm just saying... That if she really is maybe jealous of your achievements, or maybe you were always the favorite, maybe she could do nothing right, maybe she feels like a failure in a lot of ways because she could never do anything right. If that's the case, my metaphor is a story that I read. Uh, It wasn't a story, it was actually a book written by Milton Erickson, and he was the first doctor to use hypnosis in his practice, and he was very good at it. It's called Ericksonian hypnosis. He was very, very good at it. And he told a story once where this uh, person, this young woman, came into his office and she was having a huge issue with insecurity. She knew she was ugly. She knew that she was not attractive at all. She did not believe it, no matter who told her that she was pretty. She didn't feel attractive. She I don't think she felt worthy. I forget the whole story, but I know that she definitely had a a huge insecurity with her looks and her body. And so Milton tells the story that this patient came in, a brand new patient, and she sat down and he looked at her, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but he said, "Um, I don't think we can work together. And she asked, what? What do you mean we, we can't work together? He said, I I, I really don't think I can work with you. I'm sorry. She asked, why? I I really need some help with this. I want to get over this. And he said, well, to tell you the truth, um, I'm having a difficult time even looking at you because I'm actually attracted to you. And I don't think it would be professional for us to continue with me having this attraction for you. She didn't know what to say, and I'm not saying this is all appropriate. (laughs) This was back in the 50s or 60s. But he said this, and she said, wait a minute, uh, what? She didn't know how to process that. And he said, I'm sorry. You know, I know you came here, and I I won't charge you for this, but I I can't work with you. It's very distracting, and I, I am so sorry. It's not professional of me to work with you because I am so attracted to you and I wish I could help. I'm sorry. She didn't know what to say, so she got up and she didn't know what to do. She didn't know who to call now. If if this is supposed to be a really great doctor that's supposed to be able to help her with some psychological challenges and he can't even help her, now what? So she left the office and um, I don't know how many days later, but he heard back from, I think it was someone in her family, and said, you know, uh, she seems to be a lot more confident now. She seems to be a lot more secure in herself. What did you say? What did you do? And he said, I told her I couldn't work with her. (laughs) And so I don't know if he told the family or whoever called the whole story, but that one quick encounter changed her life. He was able to follow up with her much later, and she was a different person. All because of that one encounter. So, reading between the lines with this story, again, I'm not saying this is an appropriate thing for a doctor to do, or if this is even advisable, but there is 
a message in this story that I want you to absorb. And I'm not saying that you should apply it, this person who wrote. I'm not saying that you should apply it to your sister, but maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something that someone who is carrying around a lot of insecurity or a lot of fear or maybe jealousy or whatever it is, maybe they feel incompetent. Maybe they feel like they can't do anything right. Maybe next to you, they feel like a complete loser because maybe you had special treatment, at least according to her, her perception. Maybe when she did something, she got in more trouble and maybe you never got in trouble. Or maybe when you got in trouble, it was never the punishment that she experienced. Who knows? There's a bunch of maybes there, a lot of variables. But there is a message between the lines. Like I said, I'm taking a slightly different angle with this. But what I've noticed with a lot of people that seem to be troublemakers or seem to be dysfunctional or cause a lot of issues have never experienced what it's like to feel valuable, to feel worthy, to feel important. They'd never experienced it. And even when you tell them how worthy and important they are, they may not get it because it just doesn't land. What Milton Erickson did was made it land. He made her self-worth and her feelings about her looks and her feelings about herself, he made that land in a way that stuck. There is something here. (laughs) There is something to what I'm saying. And again, I'm not saying that you should do this. I'm just saying that when you think about how something lands on someone and how it could change their entire reality, their entire perception of life itself, they may benefit from it so much that they don't show up as dysfunctional or harmful or hard to deal with because they suddenly believe something else about themselves. So there's a message there. I don't know if you should apply that message or not. I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I think that if I were in your shoes, I might do something similar. I might say something along the lines of, and I'm going to make this up because I don't know your history, but I might say something like, you know, when we were younger, you had so many of the best toys. I felt like you got all the good stuff. And... I still carry that with me today. I still think about how they kept buying you the best stuff, some of the stuff that I wanted. I mean, I remember that time we played dolls together and you had the doll that I wanted and I I had something I liked, but I felt like you got what you wanted and, and I got shortchanged. I felt like sometimes they cared about you more because they talked about you more. Even though sometimes they were fighting, but it sure seemed that they paid attention to you a lot more than they did me. And I'm still working on that. I'm still trying to heal from that. I mean, you might be able to find something in your life that you can look that she had it better in some way and really connect with that inside yourself to convey it to her. And I know what this sounds like. It sounds like manipulation. It sounds like you're trying to influence this person. But I don't see it that way at all because if it's true, if you can connect with something inside yourself that you can feel some sort of lack or deficit in, that perhaps she was in a better position or she was treated better in some way, shape, or form, or you can look at her and see something that you wanted that she had, that you can really connect with that and connect with her on a different level. Because right now, like you said, you're reactionary. The things that she says and does causes you to react. But when you connect with what she's probably connecting with inside of her, and you are in that space where she might be, you start to feel differently and you start to connect in a different way. You start to be in that space with her. Like I have a relative that is often in a bad space and I haven't seen this person in a long time and I'm listening to myself now thinking I should take my own advice. I should take my own advice because when I'm around this person, things don't go all that well. Uh, But I haven't seen this person in many years, so I really haven't practiced doing this with this person. But I do think that I will take my own advice and be in that space because I think there's loss in that person. 
I think there's a lack. There is a feeling that they have been given a bad hand in life. And because of that, maybe I should look at the parts of my life where I was dealt a bad hand and experience empathy for where they are, even though there might be some dysfunctional behavior in what they do. And if I can connect with that and connect to them in that space, and even, and this is something that I would personally do, I'm not saying that you should, but I might even bring up some of the pain in their life and tell them how awful I feel that they went through it. That might be something I do. So again, there's between the line stuff here and then there's the overt stuff that I just talked about that could be helpful to you because we're all going to run into somebody that is like this, that is trouble in our life in some way or challenging or very difficult to deal with for some reason or another. So what do we do? It's very hard to relate to these people because we don't want to relate to these people. I mean, that's the way I think. (laughs) I don't want to relate to some of these people because I don't want to deal with them. Relate to them. I don't even want to look at them. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to deal with them. But if we put ourselves in their shoes in some way or feel what they're feeling, showing empathy, connecting with them in the space that we believe they are, I mean, we may not be right. At least we can try. We can try connecting to them in the space they're in and put ourselves in that space. What does that feel like? And how can we connect with that in our own life? And how can we, how can we convey that lack or deficit or loss or whatever we're feeling inside of us to them in a way that not only shows that we understand, but that they're also not alone. Because a lot of the time these people feel alone and they carry around anger and they don't seem to care about other people's feelings, but what they really want is other people's feelings. They really want connection. They really want someone there that even when they're awful, that they're still loved, they're still supported, they're still cared for. I think there's a lot of people in the world like that. And uh, I even think of the way I've handled people like that in the past, where I've gone directly to boundaries and just shut them out and I don't want anything to do with them. And I've not gone into the space I just talked about. And I'm not saying that you should do this. I'm saying sometimes there's a time to put up your boundaries and get these people away from you or at least distance yourself And then there are times when there are people in your life that you may end up seeing a lot of and unless they're overtly harmful to you and not just a pain in your butt. (laughs) There are families sometimes that are a pain in your butt. But if they are like that and you do need to talk with them, connect with them, see them at family gatherings, maybe you could take a route like this and see what happens. Just some thoughts, just an idea just a different direction, a different angle on working through some family matters. This might be helpful. I hope it is. If it isn't, then you do something that I said before, which is be honest and honor your personal boundaries and speak up and say something like, when you say that or when you do that, it hurts me. I just want to let you know it does hurt me when you say that or do that. And see where that goes. That may not go well, but at least you put it on the table and hopefully you have a good conversation about it. Or they could say, well, you hurt me too. And then there'll be a bigger conversation or an argument. If that happens, my advice, if you go that route, is to allow them to just vent all over you. I'm not saying you have to, but I think it's a good idea that when someone has that repressed energy about you and they finally tell you, well, you've been hurting me all this time, See where it goes. Let them say their piece and vent it out all over you. Don't try to defend yourself. Just let them have it. Give them that safe, non-judgmental space to vent and speak their mind so that they can get it out of their system because once it's out of their system, the pressure goes away, at least inside of them. I'm not saying it will permanently go away because it could be just the surface stuff. But if they get a lot of it out of their system and you're not defending yourself, you're not giving them any more fuel to the fire, well, that's not what happened. You know, you're trying to say what really happened and they're just making all this stuff up. But if you just let them go, it could be the big pressure relief that they needed to get it out of their system. And then from there, I don't know where it might go. You might say, I'm, I'm so glad you shared that with me. I didn't know you felt that way. Thank you so much. And that could be 
something that starts another conversation or maybe you just move on hard to say there are all sorts of ways to approach people but like I was saying in the past segment you keep showing up as you are you might continue getting the dysfunction there might be something about your response or reaction that enables more of what you don't want so keep that in mind as you go forward I hope this has been helpful thank you so much for writing thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the overwhelmed brain I appreciate you we'll be right back with my thank yous and goodbyes and my final words right after this Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you of BetterHelp. If you go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain, you'll get 10% off your first month. And also NordVPN. Head over to nordvpn.com forward slash T-O-B and you'll get a huge discount on their two-year plan plus a free month. Both great services. And I want to thank the patrons of the week, Chelsea, Anna, Somalia, Ron, Elaine, Brian, Taylor, I call out the names of anyone that supports the show financially. They are in a position to give, and I am so grateful for your contributions. If you donate to the show or become a patron over at moretob.com, if you find value in the show, you can do the same thing over at that website, moretob.com. And thank you so much for anyone that supports the show. I appreciate you. And my other podcast, Love and Abuse, is for those relationships that just seem way too difficult than they should be. Uh, Talk about difficult relationships. That's what we talked about today. There are difficult relationships. And when you've tried to get along and you've exhausted all your efforts, maybe there's something more going on than just uh, miscommunication. Maybe there's some sort of manipulation or deception or even emotional abuse, which is a very loaded term that means a lot of things. So if you have a relationship like that in your life and you want to know more and how to deal with it and how to work through it and maybe how to talk to the person about it, head over to loveandabuse.com for the podcast and a workbook I created called The Mean Workbook that will help you through that. And I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And speaking of emotionally abusive relationships, I don't read these too often on the air, but since I created the Healed Being program for emotional abusers that want to change, I'm going to read you this and just give you some quick thoughts on it. This person wrote, I found you and the Healed Being program and it is helping me see things. However, seeing is not fixing what I've done. I have emotionally abused my wife for most of our marriage. So much has come out and we are living a nightmare. How do you convey as the emotionally abusive person that you could do this and still love them? Has this ever been love? After all, if you loved me, you would never have done these things. I'm sure she knows of very specific things I've done to her and what I've done to complicate things for us. I can speak now to being abusive and to healing and changing, but I don't think she cares about that now. She cares about the lie she lived with me before I knew I was an abuser lost doesn't begin to describe us all right thank you so much for sharing that and yeah when you discover behavior about yourself and you realize it was hurting someone else i mean whether it's abusive or not if you discover you've been hurting someone else and it suddenly hits you like a ton of bricks it's going to have a major effect on you i mean if you feel bad about that it's going to hurt it's going to hurt you and This person's letter said, you know, I realize now how awful I've been all these years, most of my marriage, and now I'm at the point where we're just lost. We don't know what to do with this, and he didn't say it, but he probably fears losing the relationship. Well, one of the reasons I read this, well, two reasons. One, I actually answer this question in detail in the Healed Being program, so if you're looking for questions like this to get answered, go to healedbeing.com and maybe that program is for you. But it is a very valid question. And what I want to address about it right now, aside from what I've already talked about over at Healed Being, is the fact that when the hurtful behavior stops after that long, after many, many years of being together in a relationship or even in family, after the abusive behavior or the hurtful behavior stops, what typically ends up happening 
is it gets worse. Not the behavior, because if the person has stopped the abusive behavior, what ends up happening is the victim of that abusive behavior finally feels free to express themselves. So all this time, they may have been trying to express themselves. They may have been giving the other person signals that they're hurting, that they're crying, but that other person wasn't hearing or seeing those signals or not accepting those signals as a reason to stop for whatever reason. But my point is, what ends up happening after the abusive behavior stops is that the victim starts to get a trickling of their power back. And what that means is they finally feel like they have a voice and they can speak. So it will usually get harder. It usually gets harder if the person that's been hurt for so many years finally gets a chance to speak. And it's not only about speaking. It's about doing. It's about behavior. It's about their personality. A lot comes out after so much oppression. And when it comes out, it could come out in a number of ways. They could be super angry. They could finally say, how can you have done this for so many years? You don't love me. It almost seems like you hate me because that's what it feels like to the victim. It feels like they've been hated all this time. Why the victim didn't stand up and express themselves in the first place usually has to do with all the self-doubt that was instilled by the emotionally abusive person. It's not only self-doubt, it's uh, not being able to trust their own decisions, not knowing what reality is. There's a lot of reasons that they haven't spoken up. But what ends up happening is when the abusive behavior stops, the victim finally gets clarity, or at least some clarity, and now feels like they can crawl out of that oppressive state and into a more powerful state because they've been without it for so long. It's sort of like maybe getting free from an emotional prison where you've been locked up the whole time and then suddenly somebody gives you freedom. You just want to scream. You're just so happy to be out of that place, even though happiness may not be part of the emotional abuse victim that went through this. It's probably more about all the repressed emotions and thoughts that they never get a chance to say to the other person because the other person is finally in a receptive state. And so this is what happens is the emotionally abusive person, when they choose to change and heal, that they become more receptive. They usually become more humble and even vulnerable in sharing things with them. And so the emotionally abusive person feels like things will go better now that they've stopped the hurtful behavior. But because the victim had felt oppressed for so long, now they get their chance to come out of the shell that they were in and speak up and be angry and they feel like they finally can do it because they're no longer having to defend themselves and question their own reality and things are finally starting to make sense. They're telling themselves, oh, that's what's been happening all these years. You've been crazy making me all these years and so that's why I felt the way I felt. It wasn't me, it was you doing this to me. And so they have a lot in there and it needs to come out. Sometimes it just needs to come out. And I can't tell, I can't predict if a relationship like that can be saved. But I can say that expect it to get harder when you finally stop hurting someone else. I'm not saying it always happens. Sometimes when you stop hurting someone else, things get better. Because they just want to sweep it under the rug and just go move forward. Or maybe it doesn't matter anymore because you've stopped hurting and that's all they ever wanted. So you move on. But if it's a more intense, emotionally abusive situation, the person hurting is going to have to come out of the darkness and confusion that they were in, reaching a somewhat more stable level, and then they're going to go beyond that stable level and rise up even further and hit the other side of it. I don't even know if I can explain that right, but I have this visual that they're in this deep hole and they've been there for years. And so they're in this hole, and every time they climb a foot, somebody throws dirt in the hole. So now they're taking the dirt back out of the hole and trying to push it up so they don't get buried. And they spend many, many years in this hole just trying to survive, trying to keep the extra dirt out. And then when the person stops throwing dirt in the hole, 
they get to climb up and every step they take toward the opening feels more hopeful and they feel like maybe this is it maybe this is my chance but they still have so much doubt they still believe that the dirt is going to be thrown back in the hole and they're going to be right back where they were but when they finally reach the opening and they smell fresh air and they see the light they get a taste of freedom from oppression and when they taste that freedom everything that they've repressed might have a chance to come out and because they feel that way they're going to come out of the hole and then they're going to climb even higher maybe on a ladder (laughs) just thinking of the visual here they climb higher to the other side so what is the other side it's the opposite end of the hole in the hole they were probably in a very confused state a sad state uh, an insane state they felt like they were losing their mind and when they discovered that they weren't losing their mind and the confusion was coming from someone else they might get even higher on a higher platform past the hole and look down on the person that was doing that the whole time and be very upset so if you've been hurting someone I don't tell you this to not stop hurting them. That's not my point. I tell you this to prepare for some hard times when you choose to stop hurting them. Those hard times are necessary. They are absolutely necessary. They need to happen because you need to get the brunt of what they oppressed. I hate to tell you that, but it can and it does happen. It's just like what I tell people that have gone through infidelity. When the infidel comes clean or admits it or they get caught, they may need to experience the brunt of the other person's hurt, their anger, their shock, their mistrust, and they may need to experience that for a long time. I mean, I usually like to put it from six months to a year. I I have a timeline. And I talk about that at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. There's an article on infidelity. And I think I talked about this last week too. But look up that article and, and, and it talks about the timeline it takes to be in a better space with someone after you've been hurt. Or in the case of infidelity, after you've been betrayed. With emotional abuse, after you've been hurt for a number of months, but usually years, there's going to be a lot buried in there and it's going to take time to come out and if the emotionally abusive person needs to allow it to come out and needs to allow them to make decisions that might seem crazy or do things that might seem really out of character because they've been oppressed for so long and they need to be free and sometimes the pendulum has to swing all the way to the other side to be free and that might involve a lot of personality characteristics you've not seen this doesn't mean that the relationship will automatically be fixed after this it just means you allow them to be this and know that it was in there for a long time and if you were the abusive or hurtful person realizing that you put it there and they have every right to feel this way and be angry and shove it back in your face they have every right to do that so I just wanted to read that to you because I didn't take that angle in the way I answered it in the Healed Being program, but I wanted to share that with you just in case you were in a similar situation uh, because I know a lot of people have hurt people and maybe they didn't mean it. A lot of people don't mean to hurt people. I didn't mean to hurt the people I love for a long time until I realized what I was doing was hurting them. So we can go through the process of learning about ourselves and understanding our behavior and working on that behavior. And and this is the most important part, doing it whether the relationship exists or not. I think that is the most important part. I always emphasize that in the program. And it's important that when someone is hurtful, when they're emotionally abusive, that they have to understand this isn't about saving the relationship it's about becoming the best person you can be the most improved the most healed person you can be so you can be the best partner the best friend the best family member to anyone in your life if the relationship is salvaged that's a bonus but if you're focused on just saving the relationship 
you're probably focused on the wrong thing. Yes, it is something that I've done myself. Focus on saving the relationship. The, the relationship has to be saved, but you do have to save yourself. You do have to go through the process of healing and growing and learning and hopefully evolving out of any hurtful behavior that you have done or are doing to someone else because hurtful behavior never, ever precipitates love. It only encourages distance and separation and self-protection of one's heart. When you are hurtful to someone else, the other person wants to protect themselves by closing up their heart, at least a little bit at first and then more and more over time, until you get to the point where there's no way in. You never want to get to that point. So I know I'm only speaking to a few people that are listening that can relate to this, but maybe you know someone that is like this, or maybe somebody is hearing this for the first time and they realize, yes, I needed to hear this. So I hope this helps. But I always end this on a positive note. You know that. (laughs) So let's do this. I want you to keep an open mind. This is what helps you step into your power. No matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, always keep an open mind. This is how you create the life you want. And an open mind also keeps you out of judgment and hurtful behavior because you're open. You're more accepting. You're understanding. And you're willing to see all sides. So keep that open mind and always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Amazing.